Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. It's likely you've seen a cargo bike on a street near you, and almost every town and city has companies delivering parcels on cargo bikes, from giants like DPD to a growing network of small indies, all working on emission-free deliveries. But my guest today has upped the ante and is taking on waste logistics and using cargo bikes to collect waste and recycling from an entire town. Not possible? Think again and enter Pedicargo, who are successfully collecting waste for recycling across Hereford using nothing but cargo bikes. Will Vaughan, the founder and CEO of Hereford Pedicargo, who is turning waste logistics on its head and showing us the might of pedal power. Welcome to Zero Five O. Will. Thanks very much. Sounds good when you put it like that, Bruce. Excellent. I'm, I'm always working on people's sales pitches at the start of the podcast. This is a voice thing only. I've been up to Hereford Senior Operations. Very, very impressive. Nobody listening is going to believe that this guy from Hereford is collecting waste from an entire town on cargo bikes. So can you bring it to life for the listeners? How does it work and what the hell's going on? And how can you be better than these uh, big boys with their massive trucks? It's more of a case of sort of how we got here and why we're doing it. We started a few years ago, well, we started years ago, 15 years ago. A mate of mine, uh, we were having a chat. We were both sort of between doing some interesting things, a few too many beers, and decided wouldn't it be great if we could get a rickshaw to the next pub? And, you know, we kept on talking about it. And we must have been at a point in our lives and we didn't really have anything to do. Um, although we must have thought we were busy at the time. Um, we talked our local authority into licensing them, give it into giving us a license um, for them as happy. Was this in, Her- in Hereford, this was, was it? Yeah, yeah. As, um, yeah, excellent. In Hereford. So we had these two happy carriages. Um, our idea, our game-changing idea at the time, was that people would pay us only what they thought it was worth, because um, we wanted to prove, you know, sustainable travel was a thing. So we did that, and it was it was fantastic. You know, we were both pretty much single at the time. It was a good time. It was a good time to be alive. And then oh, we got about eight months into that, and started moving some posts, doing a few requests here and there, some local authority work, started moving some stuff for bakeries and things. And whilst we were in that realm. We heard a lot of things from people. We were just sort of overlapping. We were always in this council office where trade businesses were buying bin liners and there were always people were always complaining about it. And then we had a sort of impromptu conversation with someone about the price of paper. And then from nowhere, we started seeing these bags of paper everywhere and thinking, well, this must be worth some money. We knew they were going to landfill. I wonder if we could do this and we could use our bikes for it. And it turned out it really worked. It turned out that because our overheads were lower, and um, we were able to get into those small offices, you know, just producing one bag here and there. And it was easy for us to do. And it overlapped at that point with, with some of the other work. So it just grew and grew and grew. And so did you have like, were you then, were you like getting passengers and a, and a couple of bags of paper on the same, uh, the same rickshaw at that point? That would have been terribly unprofessional. <laughs> unless we, never done that. Um, we were doing everything we could then. Uh, you know, there was a, it's that sort of thing, you know, you're just going flat out at that point and you realize, you know, there's some licenses you need to get, you need to start sharpen your act up. And then it really started to make sense. It clicked because all of a sudden we, we knew it was working because we had the other waste companies rigging us up, asking us what we were doing. You know, why, why were their customers suddenly coming to us? So we just sort of persevered and we grew. But our issue became we couldn't move the stuff 
fast enough. We couldn't move enough of it. So we've had to innovate quite a lot. We've had to design some parts to our own cargo bikes. We've helped other organizations do design on that. We build our own trailers. You know, the stuff isn't really there that enables us to provide the service we need. So we have to make it. So the cargo bikes then, how did the evolution? So most of the cargo bikes we see now have got this electric assist on them. So when you were doing the rickshaws originally, was electric around then? Or were you? is it sort of impossible to do the heavy lifting you're doing now without the electric sort of assist? Or has it always been around? Not at all, actually. So mini assist came in for all of our fleet. I suppose, over the last five years. But we didn't have anything. You know, we had rickshaws, which operate on the weekend. And then we run bolt the seats on a Sunday night, bolt on big cages to the back of them, and then go and collect the rest of the stuff during the week. And I think that it was possible in Hereford because of the terrain. And I think that as e-bikes came in, it then opened that up. It opened a lot of things up to us. It opened up a wider area we could operate in. And it also opened up who we could employ. So instead of having super keen cyclists working for us all the time, we could have normal people who just needed a job and wanted to come and work for us. So it actually really, really broadened our horizons like that. And what's the craziest stuff then you collected on uh, cargo bikes? Because, I mean, can you clear a house with sofas and junk like that? Or is it very much around the sort of uh, office and retail waste? There's an amazing company in Canada who do house moves with cargo bikes and trailers. And they do up to 300 kilograms at a time on their trailers. And they never used to have e-bikes either. So, yeah, you can definitely do house moves. As for the craziest stuff, I think if you go back to those initial days, you know, we'd have anything strapped onto those bikes. But probably the strangest thing we see now is a, a week-long urine sample. You know, that's always a special one to pick up for the hospital. So uh, you definitely don't want to be confusing that run when you're doing the organic cider run at the same time. <laughs> no. You could not, you probably couldn't even distinguish the difference if you tasted them i imagine <laughs> well, no exactly and you don't want you don't want to be sort of uh, in a crash with that coming down your neck either <laughs> no you don't <laughs> brilliant and how did you get into it all then i mean what was the background before you did the ritual stuff i mean it sounded like it was a bit of a what else should we do but was there a, have you got a long cycling pedigree i have always been involved in bikes my whole family have and we've always been I don't know, making all sorts, welding a bike together, doing something else. But we were doing the same with, I don't know, we'd have had a lawnmower apart and made that into something else. And so we've always been doing that, racing bikes and being interested in that sort of side of stuff. We're all pretty entrepreneurial as well. So there was everyone always had little sort of side hustles going on or bits of work we were, we were doing here and there. And I think that professionally, I trained as a designer, as an illustrator, and I went to work in publishing. I worked for a long time in publishing, in magazines and, and all sorts in motorsport. And then I moved out of that. I was a sort of a bit disillusioned with it all and with advertising and things like that. And I went to work for the National Lottery. So I worked in the third sector then. Um, and it was really interesting. So I was sort of seeing lots of things, people that needed help, people that needed things doing, looking at funding streams and all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, we were also doing some exciting things, going off, organizing expeditions and, and running all sorts of things like that. So this sort of came at a time where we were between doing some of that work, had been thinking about lots of interesting stuff. We were all into bikes and doing that sort of thing. And, and I think it just naturally grew. And that first idea, you know, the rickshaws, it was just on the side. You know, we had jobs. It didn't really matter. And that meant we could be as free as we wanted with it. It got harder when, you know, you start having to pay a mortgage from it. Yeah, no, for sure. And it sounds like a bit of a nexus between you 
saw that the service, um, it's where First Mile came from, really, that we saw the service wasn't great and recycling wasn't happening. So you saw that service element of the paper recycling initially, and now you did the full service, which we'll get on to. Plus, there was the environmental piece around it. It said service environmental, but also it sounds like you're quite into the engineering challenge of making cargo bikes work because it is very early stage at the moment or relatively early stage at the moment. And you see dozens of different garage engineering companies launching bikes. I got sent one the other day, yesterday, a new company never heard of launching a, you know, a quad bike. And is it so early there's still a lot of engineering or are we getting now, are we getting sort of quite established in what the technology looks like? How long have you got, you meant to say? <laughs> so it's easy to think that that thing they're sending you to the post might be the next solution. You know, might be, it might be the actual solution to the problem we've got. And things are definitely getting better. We have an, a collection of Franken bikes, you know, that have been changed, welded, added to, reinforced over the years. And things are definitely getting better. But what we are beginning to see is definitely an industry shift where there are two types of vehicle. And they are specking pieces of bike which are specifically for e-bikes or specifically for cargo bikes, which is stronger, they last longer, the brakes are better, they stop better, they need less, the, the interval um, periods are different. And then you've got something which is better for your standard user who's really not going to be thrashing it. We definitely know there are companies who are working towards bikes that won't need, so well, we'll have service intervals similar to small vans, you know, service intervals which could be 10,000 kilometers, 15,000 kilometers. And I think that that's where we need to go. Like all of this, we really need to almost engineer that out of the way. We don't need to be thinking anything about how we're going to fix the bike today. We need to be thinking about how we can solve the problem that's out there. And we are definitely getting to that point. And are there, are there sort of market leaders around in terms of cargo bike manufacturing, or is it very much a case of if you want this sort of bike, you go to this manufacturer, or if you want to go to another type of vehicle you go somewhere else or, or are there some people who are actually professionalizing it are they and are they in the uk or is it something where the dutch or the germans or the sort of i don't know i mean where's where's the sort of hub of innovation there are a couple of really really amazing organizations who are making cargo bikes which are both for sort of family and professional use where they're looking at them being car replacements and they typically are from amsterdam or copenhagen so you've got larry versus harry in copenhagen and they're excellent. And they, they sort of revolutionized the new cargo bike. So the old style cargo bike was a long john. Looks a bit like a normal bike, but with a big basket on the front and a small wheel. And that is an ancient thing right now in, in Copenhagen. The sort of old butcher's bike, is that the sort of thing? Exactly, yeah. Larry versus Harry really, really sort of broke the mold when they completely re-engineered it. And it was this sort of fast racing thing where you could move lots of stuff. And recently, I think last week, they released a proper cargo edition, which really they'll only look at selling to um, you know, professional organizations. They sell it with like, logos on so you, you can use it. And then you've got um, over in Amsterdam, Urban Arrow, and they're just excellent. Urban Arrow are really looking at um, providing a solution, you know, a car replacement. I think all of those organizations have sort of underestimated the aftercare people will need. You know, you buy a car. You don't really need any aftercare or you just ring your dealer up and say, oh, I can't unlock the boot. You know, what's happening with that? For these people, it's surprising that maybe they need to change their brake pads or it's surprising, you know, the, the lights needed changing. They're being sold car replacements. But I don't think we're that far off. But definitely those two organizations have really, really changed things. 
most of the other cargo bikes you see are being engineered by large organizations who have got access to motors and and, and the ability to build frames. So, and they're often rated, going to be rated lower, and they're going to be for nipping to the shops. They're not going to be for dragging 200 kilograms behind you and having 100 kg on the front. And are we getting there with the after-service side of things? So are we getting commercial garages, you know, in the same way we take our vans to a commercial garage, we don't take them to the, you know, the local Mercedes car dealership. Is that starting to happen or, or are you having to have your own workshop to get stuff repaired and, and fixed? Most organizations like ours will have internal workshops. So we, I mean, we just run spares all the time. We have essentially a bit of a spare fleet so we can keep rolling all the time. And then you sort of end up with these bikes. You know, you can always sort of bot something off another one if you need to. And the local bike shops are struggling. You know, one of the reasons is the size. You know, remember you go in your little bike shop and at the back there's, a, there's some guy sat on a stool in his old coat and he's and he sat by the heater. How's he going to fit an eight-foot bike in there with a massive box on? He, he, he can't. Um, so actually there is a split. In our organization, we've got trained Bosch engineers. We've got all of that skill in our sort of armory, really, which makes things a lot easier for us. But conversely, that is changing as, you know, people are, Joe Bloggs is buying a cargo bike, so they, the shops have to be able to support it. Is there any regulation around it? Is it the same as a, a sort of a, a bike you'd buy in Halfords or where's that? Yeah, so they're just, they're certified, you know, it's that sort of standard regulation. You've got, um, what's interesting are the power restrictions because, you know, you're going to get that standard motor on an e-bike. It's the same for a cargo bike. You're going to get 250 watt output from it. And that's split between the vehicle and the trailer. Um, some of the new trailers you'll see are really interesting. They've actually got a powered wheel on them. So you could pull on a regular bike, pull a trailer, which had a heavy load on, which had its own motor. I mean, if you're objective and you look at some of the operators and look how they're, how they're working, some of those are, are, are compromising themselves on those rules. But I think it's also a very, very gray area. Not many people know the rules. And, and I certainly think we'll be seeing coming out of the EU soon with their guidelines, we'll be seeing maybe slightly uprated rules. So we could expect to have maybe more wattage, even if it was limited just for takeoff and that sort of thing. But you'd be surprised what you can do. I think we have to be realistic as well and think when you get to a certain amount or a certain size, maybe the cargo bike isn't the best vehicle. So I think whereas in the past we would have said we will do anything we can with this, now we're saying we need to do the right things. And I think when, if you look at some of the split in the European Cycle Logistics Federation have done some really excellent um, reports and they're looking at it and saying, you know, up to 50 or 60% of all things getting delivered in a city could be delivered by bike. There's still going to be things which maybe you can't deliver by bike. And I think that we've got to, as an industry, be intelligent about that. Yeah, absolutely. But there's definitely a feeling that we're delivering the wrong things um, on a bike. But and, how, and also, Bruce, how full a van is. So a regular van actually is, is probably a third full most of the time. Yeah. And is there a, because um, the, uh, I was reading things, you know, the car industry are now starting to incorporate recycled components into the manufacturing of cars to lower the embedded carbon. But presumably the embedded carbon in a cargo bike is way lower than a car or a light van for making deliveries. And, and is that factored into sort of the calculations when you're talking to customers about the carbon impact? Or is it sort of you just accept that it's just going to be a lower carbon? Well, definitely it's factored in. If you look at moving a ton of waste, I suppose, for your industry, I think it's every ton of waste you move, it's 22 grams of, or 22, 
kilograms. Yeah. If you look at embedded carbon, an average van, electric van or a normal van is going to be something like eight to nine, nine tons. So 9,000 kg. And a cargo bike is about 3% of that. So a cargo bike will be about 300 kilograms. And when you look at the output, even when you look at using an e-bike and you look at the power it's consuming from a battery, you're, I did some maths earlier on and your grams, I reckon it was about five grams of CO2 equivalent per kilometer compared to 50 in an e-van or maybe 200 in a regular van. And Pedal Me in London have done some excellent stats on this recently. And with their estimate being that by the time a cargo bike has done something like 300,000 miles, it has emitted and used the same amount of carbon as a van just rolling out of the factory. Wow. So, you know, it's, it is phenomenal. But again, I think it's important to revisit, you know, horses for courses. It's got to be the right, right things in the right places. Absolutely. And then I suppose, you know, you're, you're using quite a lot of the energy of the riders. So do you then start to worry what the riders are eating? Again, does, it, does a vegan cargo bike rider have a lower impact? Can you resell that to customers saying, would you like a vegan rider or a veggie rider this morning? It does. Though. It's real. Okay. So I thought I was expecting something like this. So I, mean, I did do a larger amount of research than I'd done previously. So they reckon someone on a paleo diet has emissions of about 135 grams of CO2 per kilometer, and a vegan diet is about 40. So, you know, it's about a third of it. And if you look what a Prius, Toyota Prius emits, it's about 150, right? So if you had two people in a Prius, it's really worth factoring in. So actually, it's been really interesting to, to look at that. I think that ultimately all of this comes down to balance, doesn't it? I think that it's about making the correct choices at the correct time and also not trying to greenwash anyone with what you're doing. And I think we see that in our industry massively. We've got to be really careful and really vigilant over that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, fundamentally is you might equally end up with a, uh, a vegan or a vegetarian or a meat eater that's driving an electric vehicle or a diesel vehicle. So probably horse, horses for courses, it's going to average, its, average itself out. We were just starting there about the, you know, what's appropriate to carry on cargo bikes and what's inappropriate or not the right specification of material for cargo bikes. Soil from the city, where you're looking at doing food waste collections on bikes in Hereford, is that on the edge or is that definitely comfortable to collect something that's much heavier than sort of paper and cardboard in food waste? So we've been testing food waste trials and moving food waste for quite a while and there's some really really interesting companies doing this over the over the globe you've got les alchemists over in paris doing it so it is viable i think what we have to look at is how far that food waste is traveling and so when, when we're looking at our resources or we're looking at doing recycling in hereford what we're trying to do is process collect and process that material where it's produced and use it in that sort of same place. So we're looking at that food waste staying in the city, processing it from food waste into a compost, and then using it locally in the you know to regenerate flood depleted soils here. So when we take all those factors in, yeah, it begins to make sense. But the difficult thing we're trying to work out is: do we trunk all of that food waste from Hereford into one central spot, or do we pop up smaller? sort of containerized composting projects around the city, which will reduce the volume. You know, when you when we place our, that food waste through our digesters, we're reducing its volume by 80%. So it seems actually the intelligent thing to do is have a smaller composter somewhere, which services 5,000 houses, and then that reduces the volume. And then you move that smaller 
reduced quantity of, um, of compost then to a central site for processing. So we're always looking at that. And I think that just mirrors that hub and spoke thing we're doing with Last Mile anyway. We just look at consolidation and look at what's the most intelligent way of doing it. What we do know is that if we're going down a Victorian street with cars parked down the side, both sides, and there's 120 houses on it, and we've got to collect food waste from every one of them, that there's no one who could do it faster than us down there. And there's no one who could do it with less harm to the environment or less physical harm to the streets either. Which is that sort of the ultimate last mile, first mile piece that you've got nailed. And then the issue really is it then gets into the trunking. Therefore, you either go, well, we need to trunk it using a different vehicle or we need to actually have a look at a distributed network of treatment facilities in the same way that when we look at renewables, we say, well, if you've got solar panels on your roof and a battery, you don't need to have huge cables trunking um, power from a central power station. You look at gla- look at glass recycling, it, it's chronic, really. We looked at a project, priced it, did everything, did collections, processed it. And by the time we processed it, filled the container, sent the container up the road, paid a fortune to do it, looked at the CO2 saving and looked at the, the value in it. And it became impossible for us to, to even think about doing it. But by actually looking at what could we do with it locally, listening to the problems here, we we're able to just simply collect the glass, process it into an aggregate, put the aggregate into local sandbags, use the sandbags for lo- local flood depletion projects. You know, it, it's that, that sort of thing where you can do something circular. And I think that we weren't just trying to invent a solution for it. We just looked at it. You know, we looked and said, okay, hang on, the river floods all the time. Here's your houses, they can't get sandbags. Here's a material you could, you could put into it. What's actually going to happen to it if we don't do that? We're going to bung it in a skip. We're going to send it 300 miles down the road, and then they're going to build it. Well, basically, it's going to become tarmac. So, you know, we can do something which is better than that. That's great, then, Will. But are people in Hereford paying more? Because there's lots of good local solutions, and it's a fantastic solution from a local perspective, an environmental perspective. But are, are, are businesses in Hereford paying more because it's Hereford Pedicargo doing the work and they're happy to pay more? Or are you competitive? Do you know what? It would be brilliant if they were happy to pay more than that. <laughs> well, some of them are. The reality here is that every single business, especially over the last 18 months, two years, has looked at where it was spending money. And it's looking to try and make that cheaper. Now, the way we do our collections and the way we consolidate them means that we can generally run a, a cheaper solution. So for that business, it's win-win. And for us, it's a win as well. We go in there, we provide them a better service. It's better for the environment. It's cheaper. It's win-win. And all we want to do is everything we can to obtain that resource and then do the best thing with that resource. And so by having that immediate lever of having a cheaper service, it almost guarantees we'll get it. But we've got, we've got contracts where we're competing against huge organizations who are using compactor skips and we are matching them on a price per kilogram. And we're diverting it from instead of it going to theoretically going waste to energy, those resources are then staying in our city where we're able to create jobs, where we can process them. And some of those materials are even getting processed and used locally as well. Brilliant. And is your model scalable to other cities? Or have you happened upon Hereford, who's up for it, and you've got a long, long experience of um, moving stuff on cargo bikes? Can, can it be scaled? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Hereford is a really, really interesting place to do it because of its dynamic and its geography and the density and how many people are here and what sort of shops are here. Really, Hereford mirrors 
small parts of lots of other cities. And I think that the concept of just doing what we're doing in multiple times in bigger cities is very, very easy. And of course, the bigger we get and the more opportunities there are to do that, the better saving we can pass on and the more we can do with the resources. But I mean, the problem for us is, is always and will be going forward, I'm sure, that we're never at the top of the chain. You know, we're always brokering through somewhere else or we're always doing something. And we're finally reaching that point now where we're winning. You know, we're beating other people now. So we're getting to that stage. And I think that, yes, it's definitely replicable. And I think that actually it's not replicable just for the sake of it. I think it is a better solution in certain places. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like that. And stepping back from waste, I mean, you could use waste as an example if you wanted to, but stepping back from waste, because you've gone, actually, let's. this is an interesting market and it's difficult stuff to move around. But if you were, if someone was going to say, I want to I start a business, or I want to move something on cargo bikes, what's the fundamental thing that you need to get right? What's the top tip for, or top tips for somebody trying to move something on a cargo bike that you've learned over the last sort of uh, 20 years of shifting stuff? We can do work where we rock up at a local bakery, right? And we say, we'll start delivering your bread for X amount of loaf or, or whatever. Eventually, we've got two hats on here. One hat for me is I want cargo bikes to be absolutely everywhere. I want them to revolutionize transport. And the other hat is I want to deliver some bread. Now, at some point, that bakery is going to say, well, do you know what? We could put someone on a, on a living wage here and have our own cargo bike and deliver our own bread and probably it's going to be cheaper. So there's this constant sort of struggle between service provision and what's right and who's doing the work. And I think it's really interesting. We always say we're not doing anything revolutionary. All we're doing is really looking at what logistics are doing already. So when you we look at lorries and freight and backloading and cashing trailers and doing things like that, it's just what is happening elsewhere. And a lot of that, if you look back into the past, you know, look, think really far back. Think about that um, that butcher's bike you talked about. Think about those adverts on TV. Remember the, the, the lad delivering the stuff for the, the bakery? Exactly the same thing, isn't it? You know, we're just getting to a point where is it the right thing? Is it the right vehicle? And I think that cost will push a lot of that. And, and costs are going up. And, and cargo bikes are a solution to, to a lot of those, those problems. And so what does success look like for you and uh, Petty Cargo? You know, looking back in 10 years, 20 years time, what, what does success look like? Very interesting because if we're into waste and we're being intelligent about doing waste, what we're trying to do is get people to use even less and produce less waste. So real success, conversely, would be they're not producing any waste and we haven't got anything to do, I suppose. Um, not, sure, not too good for the business, but it would be great for the environment. So I suppose real success is knowing that we've made a difference knowing, and knowing that we've made a positive change and that we've used that to try to educate people at the same time. And that's good. And you're sort of hitting on two things there, which is, you know, what I always say to people, you know, we'd, we'd, our, you know, success for me is when we don't have a business anymore that that's reliant on taking waste away. But I think there's so much of the damned stuff that we're not that's not going to happen in our lifetimes. But you're sort of hitting on that, but also on the getting everybody on a cargo bike. So it's that double pronged mission, which is is fantastic. And what can listeners do differently? To help you succeed in this, can they can they select when they're ne- <laughs> when they're next buying something next day delivery from Amazon Prime to uh, get it delivered on a cargo bike? Um, he says in jest, but it might be possible. Is it or you know what can they do differently? 
I don't think they're going to have to worry too much about that. I think that that's going to be presented to them. I think the mar- that market's coming to them, whatever. They're going to be looking out of their window and it's going to be getting delivered by bike if it's the right thing to do. But I think what the listeners can actually do is switch on and engage with what they're hearing. Today, I've listened to the news and it says energy prices are going up. I see all over the news, energy prices are going up. And actually, what I thought when I saw that was, okay, how do we use less energy? You know, this is a, a perfect time to be questioning the narrative. And that's what we should be doing, you know. Do you have to take your car to, do, to, to pick that stuff up? Could you do it on your bike? Could you pick your neighbor's stuff up at the same time? You know, all of those things, really, which are really basic. If I'm throwing this loaf of bread away, did I think about giving it to the food bank first? Did I really question the narrative? You know, that's, that is the most important thing listeners can do. And towns, are, you know, councils and towns and cities are getting onto this as well. You know, it become, it's, you know, in London, it's becoming increasingly expensive or difficult to drive anywhere, not with, you know, the ultra, ultra low emission zone as well. But we've also got zero emission zones. We've got a lot of pedestrianisation. Lots of this has been brought in over lockdown by local councils across the country, not just in not just in London. Are cargo bikes future proof for that, or are we going to get you know at the moment you've got a bike lane that's wide enough for a cargo bike? Are we suddenly going to find that actually it's only wide enough for somebody with a pram? And and are we, we going to push cargo bikes out of the urban planning as well, or do we think they're definitely in and here to stay? Okay, I think they're here to stay. I think an example in Hereford we have is we have a great dialogue with the council. When they build a cycle path, at the end of it, they put the bollards there and they'll make, we've got a couple of examples here in Hereford where the bollards are a certain width on one side to allow our bigger bikes to go through. So I think there are examples of that and I think the cargo bike's here to stay. But I also think if we're riding down a cycle path in Hereford and we're pulling a trailer with 4,000 litre bins on it and we've got an 800 litre box on the front and we're trucking along at 18 miles an hour, should we be on the cycle path? You know, is it safe for the other people who are there? That comes down to training. You know, we can, we can use that other space. So I think we're actually going to enter a new era you know, where we're considering just how freight is, is moving. Maybe it's going to be a freight lane or, or something like that. I, I think that when we train our riders and we look at our, our professional um, training program, we teach them to use the space, to use it together. You know, if we're riding down the road and we've got 20 cars behind us, let's be intelligent. Let's pull over, let's let the cars through, and then let's get back on it. I think we have to share that space together, and I think that will be irreversible. And so if our ethic is to share that space, whatever, and be respectful of everyone in it, if everyone did that, it'd be great. And I think we'll head more towards that, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of, um, you know, we may well end up with uh, cycle paths, cargo paths, and, you know, pedestrian paths, but it's uh, you still... Yeah, we're working. We're using those paths to work. You know, that, that's what we're doing. This is not, not leisure activity. We're, we're working out there. So people should be respectful of that, but we need to be respectful of them as well. And Will, what's coming up in the next sort of uh, six months, year, two years that you're really excited about? What's, what's the big changes in, for you at Pedicargo or in the world of cargo bikes? We've got some really cool stuff going on with the trailers we're innovating and, and for some of those projects. So we're really, really looking forward to seeing those hit the road. Um, they should improve our efficiencies massively, which is good. But also these other projects, seeing Saw from the city come together, you know, we're hoping we can be in a position to, to maybe get that municipal waste in and to do that amazing thing, you know, collect food waste from, a, from our city, turn it into a soil 
or compost improver, you know, compost and soil improver, which we can use to regenerate our flood depleted land. And also close that loop, educate those people that that food we collected from you, it went over there. And also to do that preemptive stuff, if we get into that position, directing those people to places where they could send that food, you know, that, that for me is really exciting, engaging in food banks and engaging in that full circle thing where, you know, we're working with local growing groups, we're educating kids, we're doing that. That's the most important thing, I think, because we're seeing so much of the work we do is actually not driven by the adults, it's driven by their children. We have people ring us up and say, oh, I had my son in the office this week, and he was saying, I can't believe you've got a recycling bin, so we've had to get you in to sort it out. And I, and I think that we, that's the most exciting thing for us in the future, just to see how, that, how, how all that stuff will come together. It's almost like rehearse this po- rehearse this podcast because my next question is going to be if you could ask people just to do one thing to help tackle climate change, what would it be? And you've just done a beautiful segue into that. So, Will, what would your one thing for our listeners to do to help tackle climate change? I would revisit something I said earlier about engaging with what you're seeing, question what you're seeing, right? Is that re- stuff you put in your recycling bin actually getting recycled? Could you have done something better with it? Are you really accountable for it? Really question it, you know, take responsibility for what you're doing. If you do that and you're accountable and you took responsibility and you're happy with it, then great. Don't be that person who didn't, you know, and that that's number one for us. I think if everyone started to take responsibility and started to think about it, everything would change. And it's out there now. You don't need to wait for it to be released on uh, Netflix or Spotify. You can start taking responsibility for everything. Right now. <laughs> right now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So we're getting to the end of another excellent episode of Zero Five O, but we have a tradition which is for our guests to leave something in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. What is your item or service or person or thing going to be that you would leave in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame? Well, I would leave a bicycle in there. Excellent. Because... You know, it's the best thing. It's the best thing. It puts a smile on your face. It runs on fat and it saves you money. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. Any particular type or are you just going to go for a bicycle? I'm not picky. <laughs> You're not picky. Excellent. I love it. I love the idea of it running on fat as well. Absolutely brilliant. Well, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they will find you, websites, Instagrams, whatever you prefer? Yeah, Petty Cargo on Instagram, P-E-D-I-C-A-R-G-O. Or just hit our website, www.pedicargo.com. Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We've uh, learned a huge amount about cargo bikes and Hereford Pedicargo. Thanks a million for being a guest. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero five zero.